Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. The wisdom of God points us back here to Proverbs, this book that we are working through together, and I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. This is another chapter before us this morning of God's Word written to His people that we might know wisdom. Now, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been looking at this book and that Proverbs has been building for us, if you will, a house of wisdom. We've seen the foundation of wisdom, the only attitude or posture that can yield wisdom, if you will, and that is the fear of the Lord, that affection and awe of our God that delights in and submits to Him and all of His divine power and and justice and majesty. And then on that foundation of the fear of the Lord, Proverbs is now giving us three pillars of a life of wisdom. Last week we looked at the first pillar which was a hearing heart or a heart inclined and eager to listen to the word of the Lord and to follow his ways. This morning we're turning to chapter 3 where Solomon introduces us to the next pillar, the next attitude necessary for a life of wisdom. So I want to dig in and read the the whole chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, and I hope you might follow along as we read from God's word. My son, Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. 
When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. God, this is your word. How I pray that you would use it in our hearts this morning. Draw us to yourself in Christ. We pray this for his sake. Amen. What if fairy tales were true? And one day you unsuspectingly rubbed a a golden lamp and a genie popped out and sang, you never had a friend like me and gave you one wish. I know it was three wishes, but for today, let's assume it was one wish. What would you ask for? What's the best, most valuable thing you could request with that one wish? Well, as it turns out, Aladdin isn't the only one who was offered a wish. It happened in real life, too. And it wasn't a blue genie who offered the wish. It was God who made a real offer to Solomon. Make a request of me, Solomon. And Solomon's one wish, it was wisdom. Of all the things in the world he could have asked for, wealth, the death of his enemies, honor, specific possessions, health, long life, Solomon asked for wisdom. And the question is, was that really the best thing Solomon could ask for? I think the main point of Proverbs chapter 3 is to answer that question with a resounding yes. Solomon argues that wisdom is better than riches, better than jewels, the source of life and blessing to the one who lays hold of her. And in making this case, Solomon first calls us to the second pillar that's necessary for a life of wisdom, and then he describes the blessings that wisdom brings. So we'll follow that outline. First, we'll begin and spend most of our time in verses 1 through 12 where Solomon introduces the second pillar of a life of wisdom. Now, if you noticed as we read through Proverbs chapter 3, the first four verses and the last 12 verses or so repeat a familiar theme we've heard in every single chapter of Proverbs so far. My son, keep my commandments and you will find life and security and peace. My son, do not go after the wicked. Do not harm your neighbor Do not show envy or choose ways of violence, or you will find disgrace and the Lord's curse. We've heard about these two paths again and again, haven't we? And we think, Solomon, how many times are you going to tell us about this? But remember, Solomon is a parent speaking to his son, and you know how parents are. We like to say the important things again and again. Parents, we have lectures on cue that we can give to our children I think the theme verse of parenting is Philippians 3.1, where Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and it's safe for you. 
That's the way parents are. And so Solomon calls his son again and again, keep these commandments, turn from evil and find life. But having repeated this appeal, Solomon goes on to pen some of the most oft-quoted and well-known verses in all of Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. This is the second pillar, the second essential posture for a life of wisdom, to trust the Lord with all your heart and all your ways. Well, what does it mean to trust the Lord? To trust the Lord means to believe what he says, to rely on who he is, and so to act with childlike confidence in him. To trust in the Lord is to believe what he says, to rely on who he is, and so to act with childlike confidence in him. It is to act on the conviction that his word is true and that his works are good because he himself is true and righteous and good. Solomon goes on to say that such trust in the Lord is the opposite of leaning on our own understanding. Now that does not imply, of course, that trust in the Lord means we should stop thinking or that using our minds will be the opposite of trust in the Lord. Not at all. Rather, it means that on our own, due to our fallen sinfulness and due to our finite, limited nature, we cannot rely on our own reason, instincts, or understanding in life. Due to our sin, we will often think certain things are good or wise or right because of the reasoning of this world in our fallen hearts, but we will be wrong. We need to remember what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, that the wisdom of this world does not lead to God and that the wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away. Paul says, only the Spirit of God, given by Christ who is the power and the wisdom of God, can lead us in true wisdom. But even when we know Christ, we are still finite and limited in our understanding. And so there will often come situations we don't understand or that we feel are hopeless, commands that we feel are unreasonable. And trusting in the Lord, not our own understanding, means a settled conviction that even when God's words or actions don't make sense to us, we believe that he is true and good and worthy of our trust every single time. I think it's something like what happens when my sisters and I discuss childhood memories together. It is a well-established fact that my memory of most of childhood is far less clear than ours. And the only exception to that is my moments of glory in Little League, which I remember much better than they do. So when they bring up an incident and I don't remember it at all, I don't say, well, I don't remember it, so it didn't happen. That would be relying on my own understanding. No, I say, if our memories disagree, your memory is better than mine. And so chances are, I'm going to believe you and rely on you and not on my own memory. That is a very, very small picture of what Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 is saying. We are fallen and sinful. We are limited and finite. But the Lord is perfect and true and faithful. So in every area of life and in every scenario in life, with all our heart and in all our ways, 
We are to trust him and his word rather than our own understanding. And this trust in the Lord, this absolute trust in the Lord is the second pillar, the second attitude or commitment necessary for a life of wisdom. I think we can think ahead to the New Testament, to James chapter 1, verse 5, and realize just how important trust in the Lord is if we want to acquire wisdom. Because there James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The faith or trust in the Lord is necessary for wisdom. Now, of course, when James talks about a doubting man, he does not mean that we can never have questions for God. He doesn't mean that we will understand everything that is happening and why. No, the doubt that James is talking about is a doubt in the character of God. The doubter asks for wisdom but does not trust that God will really come through. It's the difference between Job, who knows the character of God and does not understand how the things happening to him match that character. So he seeks God and asks him in his confusion. We read in Job that he did not sin in asking those questions. Maybe as opposed to Peter, who said, Jesus, can I come out and walk on the waves? And he stepped out and all of a sudden he doubted whether Jesus was really able to preserve him or not. And he began to sink. And Jesus rebuked him for his lack of faith. Seeking wisdom without trust in the character of the Lord is a search that will go nowhere. Now, there's enough meat in these sentences and the idea of trusting the Lord that we could sit on them all day and apply them to situation after situation after situation in our lives. But in verses 7 through 12, Solomon gives us three real-life examples of what it looks like to trust the Lord in situations that we find it difficult to do so. The first comes in verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn from evil. And the situation or example that Solomon is mentioning here is that we will often be faced with situations at some point where God's word and God's will don't feel best to us. It feels like obeying God will lead to our harm or will withhold something good from us. That might be in life-altering ways, like it was for Jackie Hill Perry, who came to a turning point in her life where she had to decide whether living the lesbian lifestyle that she wanted to live or God's Word were right and good for her. And in the end, she decided that she had to trust God's Word even when she didn't understand And she gave up that life to follow him. Or it might be in small ways, like a a time when, when I strongly desire to ignore a person who hurt me or made a decision I didn't think was fair. But God's word calls me to seek peace as far as it depends upon me. It might be in our teen years when God's word seems to restrict your freedom or go against what so many people around you are saying is good. Or it might be in your older years when you've built up justifications for certain patterns in life. We will all face situations where we will have to decide, do I fear the Lord 
trust him and turn away from evil, or will I do what I want and feel and think is most reasonable? Proverbs offers in verse 8 a significant promise to those who in that test choose to trust in the Lord. It's a promise of healing and refreshment. Now, the Hebrew, and you probably see a note uh, to this point in your Bibles, the Hebrew literally says, it will be healing to your belly button and refreshment to your bones. And that may cause us to smile a bit. It's not exactly what we are expecting, but uh, the Bible uses this phrase in other places to refer to our body. And the point that it's making is that trust in the Lord will bring healing and refreshment to our whole being inside and out. And that is the reward of trusting the Lord. That was example number one. Example number two comes in verses 9 and 10. Solomon says, "...to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your produce." Now, the first fruits were the first and best portion of anything that the Lord provides for you. Exodus 22 verse 29 says that Israel is to dedicate the firstborn of their sons to the Lord, and they're to give the firstborn of their sheep and oxen to the Lord, and they are not to delay to offer the tithe of the fullness of their harvest. But this principle tests us, because you bring all the harvest in, And you're supposed to tithe right away to the Lord without knowing, will this last me through the year or not? The question is, are we to tithe from our paycheck right away when we receive it, not knowing if it will stretch as far as I hope it will? It takes faith and trust to honor the Lord and obey Him with our income before anything else. But again, This example comes with a wonderful promise. Solomon says if we do trust the Lord and obey Him, giving to Him that first fruit, then our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats bursting with wine. Now we have to understand right off that Solomon is not offering a retirement strategy here. He's not saying just tithe 10% and you're going to abound in wealth. You're going to beat the stock market every time. That's not what he's saying. Now what he's, he's saying is honor the Lord first, trust Him and what He commands you to do, and He will bless you and provide for you. And I will be the first to testify what I've heard from so many. Even in the days of seminary when we had so little, tithing first on whatever we were earned never left us in want. The Lord always provided, sometimes in very unexpected ways. But trust in the Lord was always justified, just as he said. That's example number two where we might find it difficult to trust the Lord. Example number three comes in verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Now this is a time when it's challenging to trust the Lord, isn't it? When suffering and discipline come on us. Isn't it true that often the hardest time to trust the Lord, the times when we question God the most, are in times of pain and suffering? If God loves us, why is He letting this happen? It sure doesn't seem like God is giving me what is good or being faithful to His promises. It feels like God hates me or that He just doesn't exist at all. And just to clarify, when Solomon talks about the Lord's discipline, I don't think that he is only referring to times when we commit a particular sin and consequences come upon us for that particular sin. That's included in this. 
but I think it's referring more broadly to the way that God disciples and disciplines us with suffering in life. To show us our sin, to bring us to the end of ourselves, to increase our trust and dependence upon Him, to train us in wisdom and godliness, all the things that the Lord works in His people through suffering. And Solomon says that this discipline through suffering is a sign that God loves you. Now that may be hard to swallow and trust at first, isn't it? But just think about a father. Which father loves his son? The one that goes to zero effort but says to his child, do whatever you want, I don't care. Or the father who invests his time and his energy and his heart in the wearying and often painful task of disciplining his son. Of course, we human fathers don't do this right all the time, not by a long shot. But there's no doubt that the latter is the evidence of a father who loves his son. And if that's true with us, it's even more true with God, which is why if you turn your minds over to the New Testament, you'd turn your minds to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, where the author of Hebrews quotes these very verses from Proverbs. And he says to the believers in the church, do not grow weary in suffering because the Lord's discipline is a sign that he has adopted you as his sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. For those who are in Christ's suffering is an evidence of God's love for you. That takes trust, doesn't it? But that is what God is up to. It's what he's telling us in his word. And he's given us great evidence that this is true because when we face such suffering, we can remember that God has sent his own son, Jesus, to the point of death in order to redeem us and make us his. And Romans chapter 8 verse 32 asks, when he sent his own son to the cross for us, do you really think that he will fail to accomplish our salvation and do what is good for us in any other way? No, for those who are in Christ, he has given us concrete evidence that we can trust even that suffering that he sends is out of his love for us and consistent with his delight in us. This past week, I was listening to Johnny Erickson Tata's autobiography. I know a number of you have read this. It's just titled Johnny. She wrote of the suffering and despair that she went through as she was literally stretched completely immovable on a striker frame month after month after month. And in her constant suffering, each new week seemed to be a different prayer that she would ask. And every single time she felt that she got a no to her prayers. After a year living in Green Oaks Rehabilitation Center with a number of others who couldn't use their limbs, she felt that she could no longer believe in a God who had not answered a single prayer and had left her and others in such a miserable condition. A man in the facility was talking with her and he said, well, you're right. What's happened to us does make belief in God uh, incompatible and impossible. And so he suggested that she read Sartre, Marx, and Hess to find a worldview more consistent with her suffering experience. She devoured these books, but they only deepened her despair. And so slowly, with the help of her friend Diana and a high schooler named Steve, she reconsidered some of the promises of the Bible. And as she wrestled with her life and what she had become still on that striker frame and unable to move anything but her head and neck, 
But as she also dug into God's word, she wrote these words, nothing is making sense yet. But before my confusion leaned toward doubt, now my confusion leans to trust. And there I think is the heart of this second pillar of a life of wisdom. That when things don't make sense, we know the character and the promises of God. And he has proven his sovereign, gracious heart towards us by giving us Jesus to wipe away our sins and to give us his Holy Spirit and make us new that we might have life in him. And those are proof that even in our pain or confusion, we have good reason to lean into trust in our God. So those are Solomon's three examples of where it was difficult to trust the Lord. What examples would you add to that list? What examples in your life test your trust in the Lord? In each of them, remember the counsel of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, in all your ways, and he will direct your paths in the ways of life. Well, this is Solomon's call to us. But just to make sure we haven't forgotten it, Solomon follows this instruction with another review of the blessings of wisdom. And so briefly, would you just look at verses 13 to 26 or so with me? Silver, gold, and jewels were considered the most precious things on earth in Solomon's day. A king's honor and his wealth was judged and measured by silver, gold, and jewels. But Solomon says wisdom is better than silver better than gold, more precious than jewels. Now, just in case you feel like, well, silver, gold, and jewels, those, those, I don't really care too much about those things. Maybe it's a, you know, a Lamborghini or an Oceanside vacation home or something like that that I think would be really valuable. Solomon adds there in verse 15, nothing you can desire. Fill in anything you want in that blank. Nothing you can desire can compare with wisdom. Perhaps Solomon can hint or anticipate a hint of skepticism at such a bold claim. So he gives us two reasons why wisdom is the most precious possession and the only right answer if you are ever offered one wish. First, verses 13 to 18, he says, Long life is in her right hand. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Now, Solomon has said multiple times that a reward of wisdom is life. What does he mean by life? Well, the word for life that's used all throughout Proverbs here only rarely refers to physical life in the number of our days. It much more frequently refers to wholeness and abundance. It is often paired with peace or that word shalom, which refers to redemption or life in which everything is healed and restored to the way that it should be in the presence of God. It's often paired with stability and security that nothing can threaten it. And life is repeatedly contrasted with death and even described as a flourishing that cannot be marred by death in Proverbs 14 and other places. In other words, wisdom, as Solomon understands it, leads to life where death is not a threat in the safety and security that is offered by the Lord. A life that comes with wholeness and abundance. 
No wonder there's nothing that you can desire that compares with the blessings of wisdom. What's a pile of gold? What's a Lamborghini compared to wholeness, peace, security, life with the Lord? And no wonder that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Christ has become for us wisdom from God. Because all these blessings of wisdom that Proverbs is talking about, wholeness, redemption, peace, security, redemption, life, not threatened by death anymore, all of these are offered to us in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. If our hearts are attentive to God's Word and its offer of the Gospel and its revelation of true righteousness and wisdom, that was pillar number one. If our hearts trust in the Lord, in His providence and what He brings to pass, in His promises and what He says will be true, and in His grace given to us in Jesus Christ, pillar number two, then we will find wisdom and all of its blessings from the Lord in Jesus Christ, His Son. If that blessing isn't enough, in verses 19 to 21, Solomon gives us a second reason for wisdom's value. He says wisdom is actually an attribute of the Lord himself. The Lord himself founded the earth by wisdom. God's own actions are described as wise. They are skilled. They arrange all things in ways that bring blessing and life. They guide every action in ways that conform to his character and truth and justice and steadfast love. And if wisdom marks the actions of the Lord himself... As part of the character of the Lord, what an astounding blessing that wisdom could mark the actions of our lives as well. That seems impossible. How could sinners like ourselves reflect the character of God in wisdom? And yet that's precisely the promise that's held out to us through his word because of the grace and mercy of God. Think of the Old Testament the undeserved grace of God and His willingness for zero virtue, reason, or excellence in Israel to take them as His people and redeem them and then give them His wise and righteous laws in which He would say, if you live by them, all the nations will marvel at your wisdom. And think about the astounding and amazing grace that God has shown to us for zero virtue or reason or excellence in us to hold Christ out to us. That if we come to Him, we might receive the Holy Spirit who brings about the fruit of wisdom and righteousness in our lives. That we might reflect Him. That we might be holy as He is holy. What an incredible blessing held out to us. And in light of such astounding blessings, Solomon says to his son again there in verse 21, My son, if these blessings are true, do not lose sight of them. Keep this wisdom that you might walk securely and not stumble and not be afraid. For the Lord will be your confidence. This is the offer that Proverbs is holding out to us. He's making again holding out these two paths for us. You know, we as humans are, are pretty forgetful. I mean, my, my wife could ask me to take out the trash or get the towels off the line, and in 28 seconds before I even get there, I've forgotten. And how long did you remember your rules of algebra after finishing your algebra class? 
But then add on top of our natural forgetfulness the lure of the world and our fleshly desires and Satan's spiritual warfare against us and just think how quickly we lose sight of what is true and wise and right and good. And so how fortunate that we have Proverbs chapter after chapter after chapter hitting us repeatedly over the head with the two-by-four of hope. My son, there are two paths, wisdom and folly, leading to life or leading to death. Oh, that you might seek wisdom in the fear of the Lord with a heart ready to listen to his word and a complete trust in the Lord. If you do, if you receive his word and you receive his son, in him these words and these commandments will guide you to find life and health peace and security, knowledge of God and relationship with him forever. As Paul said, it is safe for us to hear these things over and over and over again. So this morning, may we hear them and believe them and not forget them and act on them that we might gain wisdom and all of its blessings to the glory of God, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for Proverbs chapter 3. How we thank you for this summons to trust the Lord with all our heart. To acknowledge him in all our ways and not to lean on our own understanding. Father, you know all of the ways that each one of us are challenged in life to trust you and not our own understanding. How I pray that we would hear this summons of Scripture. How I pray that we would remember how through every page of Scripture and every page of history, you have given us good reason to trust you. You have justified trust in you and shown yourself worthy of trust every time. So Father, work this trust in our hearts, I pray. And how I pray that the blessings of wisdom and life that are offered to us and found in Christ might be ours. May we turn to him with our whole hearts and lives and minds and souls, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, Contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.